to the Redeemed Evangelical Mission, Trem, Atlanta. This is a place where we gather together in quality praise and worship of the true and living God. Equipped with the world of God for growth and fellowship with one another. God bless you as you listen to this message. And there's no other person than a son in the house. The day I had him during, uh, is it what celebration or leaders meeting? I was blown apart. I was really blown apart. And that's not the first time I heard you. I've heard you before then. Each time you come, there's always something new. Let's help me in this session to welcome Reverend Dalapo. Oh, yeah. Celebrate him as he comes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I celebrate you, man of God. Amen. Blessing to us that we rejected because we couldn't see the next leaders in them. We are leaders by grace. There is no one who is qualified here to lead. God qualified us. Hallelujah. Can we just celebrate Jesus once again? Amen and amen. Please, you may be seated. What a great privilege to be before you at this um, very special meeting and the 40th anniversary of this great commission, which has been a blessing to us all. I promise that I will touch myself again. And I'm the one here. So I'm touching myself. And I think it is real. Hallelujah. Again, we'd like to celebrate our parents in the Lord. You know, there are some fathers who believe in sons when they are nothing. And there are some fathers who wait, probably a son will get it right before they call them sons. But every wise son knows who their father is. And um, we are wise in Trem. We thank God for a father who, when we were nothing, believed in us. When nobody desired us, believed in us. And we are still a work in progress. I will believe that God will keep him alive to see the very best of us. Please help me celebrate our father once again. The presiding bishop of Trem, Dr. Michael Konkwo. Yes, you can do better. You can do better. Come on. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. And mama, we truly celebrate you. We love you with all of our hearts. Nobody had paid us to say this. Nobody cajoled us to say it. We know that you've been a mother indeed. And we thank you for nurturing us. We are getting better every day. Hallelujah. I celebrate all the bishops, all our fathers in the house. Thank you so much for the years of labor, for the years of investment. It will not go in vain. As you all prepare to pass the banners, we pray that it shall be from glory to glory in Jesus name all right I have a very brief assignment here in the next few minutes um, this discussion is a sequel to my last privilege to stand here at the Global Leadership Summit so a couple of things I will be sharing um, for better understanding I encourage you to get the messages or probably go to YouTube and uh, revisit it it's just a continuation and for the sake of clarity i'll be highlighting one or two things uh, here so i've been asked to speak on the topic innovating in the rapidly changing world innovating in a rapidly changing world and uh, possibly the church in the fourth industrial revolution as a subtopic praise god 
Uh, firstly, it's important that we realize that God has already equipped us, not just for today, but also for the future. Second Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible says that God has made us able ministers of this new covenant. He had made us able. He's not going to make us able. So everything we need to be able to fit in into this glorious future, God has already empowered us, emboldened us, and given us all it takes. But we know by the privilege of scriptural understanding that there are probably one or two, maybe one key requirement. So Paul said again that according to his divine power, he had given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. But it is true the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue. So there are certain things we need to know if we will be able to walk in all that God has done for us. So in God's agenda, creation has ended. But for us, discovery is endless. So we will keep, you know, discovering the mind of God, the plan of God as, as we journey through life. Because I believe that we all have been equipped, not just for today's ministry, but for the ministry to come. Hallelujah. Now, I am a pastor. That is my first calling. That is my most honorable calling. <laughs> and if I want to be defined in any way, I want to be defined first as a pastor. But there are some things I do outside of the pulpit. And then um, um, I'm also a strategy consultant um, in all of that. And probably I'll be sharing some of my thoughts about um, innovation as it regards the church of the future. Uh, not just my my um, privileged opportunity to all have learned by the grace of God, but I belong to an ecosystem of, of individuals around the world who we from day to day try to sit down together and see how we can make the world a better place. And I encourage everybody to find a tribe. You are limited by yourself, all right? One will chase a thousand, two will put ten thousand to flight. So you must find your tribe, you must find your own ecosystem to keep evolving and keep developing yourself. Because the ministry of the future has a lot of demands. And um, we need to step up to it. In my last conversation here talking about the future of the church, I built my case from Numbers 13 and 14. And interestingly, um, Daddy Oket took, it, um, took the journey further. And um, what a blessing to have had that, that session. Amen. Thank you so much, Daddy, for being a blessing. Hallelujah. And so again, it was a call for the very first time. This, this is probably the most important prototype for transitioning into the future. Interestingly, it's also the very first time that God mentioned, uh, the word glory was mentioned when a group of people were going through a transitioning. All right, in Numbers chapter 14, verse 10, all right, um, God's glory appeared as they were transitioning. So th this is the very first um, uh, dimension of a people who were going on a journey experienced the glory of God. And then God did something interesting, all right? He's given the prophecy uh, before then, and then it was time for the fulfillment of the prophecy. And he had to tell um, uh, Moses. He said, Moses, pick the leaders of every, every, every tribe, all right? Because leaders are very important in God's agenda in transitioning. The people will most likely follow or echo the voice of their leaders and we saw it in this story when the leaders voiced um, a certain message the people resonated either positive or negative and so it was going to send them into into the promised land to go and spy and we know all of that and then we were told that they brought back reports right same place same situation but different uh reports and of course um why? I'm trying to do a three-minute recap of my last journey, then we, we move on. We agree that one of our challenges is what um, I called the immune system. The immune system. Um, we call it different things. We call it mindset um, and what, what other stuff. But every organization have, has an immune system. Um, the picture that I have there was an interesting story in 1975. A young man who used to work with um, Kodak brought an idea of um, a digital 
camera in 1965 1965 and um, interestingly the boss told this young guy to hide the camera and not speak about it because at that point in time Kodak was very very successful everything was going well it was the big deal all around the world and he just couldn't understand why a young guy would come with a new technology when things were going right all right it's not necessary for now please don't let anybody hear about it down the line Kodak filed for bankruptcy I think in about 2012 or thereabout and in the same year um, interestingly a very similar um, business a digital business which was rejected a few years many years before was born and many of you are, are on Instagram and so today we are seeing um, different evolution of organization a very interesting time very 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 interesting time we are seeing how people are moving from scarcity to abundance the greatest businesses today are businesses building their models around abundance not around scarcity the old business model has been around scarcity the old economics have been around scarcity so what does uber do building around the abundance of vehicle what does airbnb do building around the abundance of houses everywhere so there are a lot of things in abundance and people are tapping into um, what god has created for mankind to build new empires new businesses organizations for the future and that is very interesting for us and so as we begin to look ahead um we realize that change is threatening people don't like to change people like status quo especially when there is a measure of success with what they are doing change can be threatening and this is where we begin to see the response of immune system when we begin to knock down things that our mind is not familiar with where we begin to knock down things either because the change is not coming from us or because we don't just want to understand it praise god and so in today's world the key is no longer whether we should change or not innovate or not the question is how do we innovate because if we don't innovate at an organization you are going to go into extinction that is the reality we've seen organizations we've seen businesses we've even seen churches in the last 12 months go into extinction the church is not immune from this praise god and so this this changes this disruption is not just happening in certain organization it's also happening in the church as well on the body of christ and one of my favorite quotes about innovation and 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 transformation uh, is by the investor um, the angel investor david rose he said any organization designed for success in the 20th century is doomed to fail in the 21st is doomed to fail in 21st so as we begin to look at jesus's prototype how was jesus able to evolve to a point where over 2000 years the organization is still running the church is still running when we pay attention i call it uh, uh, the jesus's organization's engine we see that at the same time jesus was involved in operations he was running day-to-day -day ministry and at the same time he was he was running the future of the ministry when he's no longer there it's difficult to be operational and be innovative it's quite difficult so while we are doing the decision making the procedures and all of that most organizations are not deliberately building for the future and so when you look at jesus christ there are some key guys who we know that they are they are there when it comes to operations they are the ones administering things making sure that uh, the 500, 500 people are fed keeping finance and all of that and most of the people that were with jesus were very operational but there's this guy who you and i know who is always overboard is the guy who always want to step and walk on water just like jesus when nobody asked him to do that he's a rebel talent he's, he's, he's like a pirate in the navy 
is a guy who ordinarily you wouldn't want to be in your team because he's, he's always jumping out of order. Operations is about order. Innovation disturbs order. And so, many times you are not paid to, to disturb order. You are paid to maintain order. And that is why when we want to start to try to innovate, there is a problem. And oftentimes, we call them rebels. Praise God. And all kinds of names in the church. But that was the guy, Peter, who was the future of the church. The guy always, who is always trying to see into the future. He was the only one who could have an insight about who Jesus truly was. And um, let me remember to say this. That the most innovative leader today can become the immune system tomorrow. Because in Peter's time, he was the guy. But with the benefit of insight, God was trying to continue the move. And uh, Peter began to call what God was trying to do unclean. And God said, how dare you call my new move, my new walk unclean. The same Peter, whose mind was very innovative, who was futuristic, who was always embracing something new, was the same one who fought innovation. So we must be careful, like I said, if you don't see the immune system, you may be the immune system. And as we transit after 40 years in this ministry, The immune system can stop us. It can stop us. And so when we look into today, most corporate transformation effort fail despite healthy investments. An average of 1.3 trillion on the average every year around the world is invested, but most of those investments fail. They fail. McKinsey tells us that 70% of corporate transformation programs fail to achieve better goals, meaning that 700 billion is wasted every year. People try to innovate and they fail. And they are at risk to innovation. So our job is that as we begin to look into the future, yes, we must innovate. But how do we balance innovation and risk? Because it is risky, that is why the immune system is high and is strong. Innovation costs resources, costs money, costs time. And so quickly, I just want to run through a particular diagram. I just mentioned it. It's, it's, it's one of my, I mean, my interesting courses today. Interestingly, this discussion was started in my mind about four years ago when Big Daddy was speaking to us, men, can we talk? He digressed a little bit and he mentioned about Zacchaeus wanting to see Jesus Christ. And he mentioned here that if they don't give you room today, live today for them, wait in the future. I, I believe some of the men here remember about three, four years ago. I would never forget that, that, that message and I have built on it since then and um, that is the reason probably I'm, I'm, I'm sharing some thoughts um, out of it today. And so for me, the challenge of knowing how to innovate, everybody saying innovate, how do you innovate? How do, that is why investment is wasted. How do you innovate? So um, technically we created a prototype and then we've done this for a couple of organizations around the world. That is, that is like a 10 weeks program which I'm going to explain some things about the edge, the core, and then uh, what it all means. How you discover, how, um, how you gather your ideas. It's very important that you come with a lot of ideas. But we understand that not all ideas can move a ministry forward. We must be careful. So David woke up one day in 1 Chronicles chapter 17 from verse 1. He woke up one day. And he felt like improving on what has been. 
and he called prophet Nathan he said this is my thoughts I want to do this I want to build this I want to build that and Nathan said this is a good idea go ahead you have my blessings of course we realize that not every prayer God God honors that night God called Nathan and said who told you to put a blessing on what David wants to do it's a good idea but according to my plans according to my vision it does not fit so you will go back and tell him that that idea is good but it's not from me so there are many ideas which are good but not godly and we must be careful as we begin to innovate because one bad idea can can set us back 20 years so one of our privileges that we have is to pray concerning every idea that is birthed is to be sure that every idea fits into the vision that God has for us as a ministry there must be congruency there must be linkage between the things we are trying to do and where God is taking us because anytime we operate outside of our God-given vision we will always lose men and will always lose resources anytime so as we incubate ideas as we as we begin to deliberate about things we will do is very important that we must make sure that there is a linkage between those ideas and where God is taking us hallelujah so in trying to balance innovation and risk um, um, there is a prototype and I will try and explain as, 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 as a kind as a termite um, with the benefit of insight there are a lot of great innovations that have come out of this ministry I believe that is why we are not a reeling church, we are a relevant church. And I'm going to explain that a little bit. Um, we all know that this was the first ministry that, you know, began to give women platform that, you know, had a woman, a woman bishop. This was the first ministry. This was the first ministry where we started engaging the, the government in, in the form of national transformation. There are many firsts that we have battered in this ministry. And I'm going to explain that. How they were battered. Why they even survived in the first place. Because most of these vehicles that we see as an expression of this ministry, we are not, where it's what I call, I call them um, 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 edge initiatives. In the core, and, and um, I think I have a diagram there to, to explain. In the core, you innovate. You improve. At the edge, you disrupt. So whenever you want to improve what you are doing as an organization, you do it in the core, within the church. But if there are edge initiatives, if there are disruptions, if you try to do it within the church, the immune system will fight it. And I'm telling you from tons and tons of researches over organization, at least over 2,000 of them. Anyone who tries to bet something new that will disrupt within the core usually does not succeed. Most of the time don't succeed. And so we have a lot of hedge initiatives. When you look at the ministry, you see the, you see the, um, um, we care hospital. You see, I mean, we have we have the Nehemiah's call. Some of them are pure, some of them are pure edge, some of them are linked edge. What I mean by linked edge is that some of the resources from the core are used for the edge initiatives. So it can be it can be um, um, it can be assets, it can be buildings, it can be resources and all of that. And there are peculiarities to that when there are linked edges. Some are pure edges. So for instance, case in point, a Nehemiah's court is a pure edge. Alright? They found themselves. They run things by themselves. And um, I try to pay attention to how some of those things work because I live my life studying organizations. How they li have a life of their own and how they can also lean on existing um, resources from the core. And so as a ministry, we have innovated, we've also disrupted as a ministry. It has been it has been pure edge, it has been linked edge, there's other what we call the blue edge. So most of the blue edge are, 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 are the thoughts that came from the concept um, a strategy that we call the blue ocean. All right. 
they are totally new. There are things that churches ordinarily don't get involved in. But we have done that as a ministry. It is novel, and today everybody's jumping into it. So I can I, I, I can give a lot of case studies. I believe that we all tremites. We see them, we know them. But the challenge with the blue edge is that it's it gives you a transient advantage. Alright? So what I mean is that you can innovate. For instance, the uh, blend is a blue edge. But since Triumph started blend, there are many churches who are doing national transformation projects. So the color of the blue ocean is that people come from the red ocean, jump into your blue ocean and pollute it. So what used to be an advantage can no longer be. So an organization needs to keep reinventing Keep giving better blue edges if it must lead. Now, what happens is that as you give better blue initiatives, people begin to follow you and then you become the leader. And that is how we have been relevant over the years. But I believe that we need to give more expressions and innovations to this ministry in the future. More of us need to innovate. As pastors, we must allow ideas that come from our members to drive our churches. Oftentimes, innovation is usually at the top there by design. All right? It's hardly bottom up because of the way we've designed our organizations. But we must begin to allow you know, feedback from our churches, ideas from them to begin to change the way things are done. More especially, making sure that those ideas and concepts are within the influence or within the orbits of the vision of this ministry. So how will TREM look like in this fourth industrial revolution? We've spoken about, about that extensively. And um, we are in the fourth today, which, which is unique. Um, and I encourage us to do an extensive study about the fourth industrial revolution. It's very important that every leader must study and understand the peculiarities of, of, of this age, of this, um, of this movement. How will it look like? As of today, we have about 32 Gothenburg moments. All right? Many of us know what Gothenburg, who Gothenburg was, the guy who invented the printing press. Never, people had never believed that in the, in the 13th, 14th century, that it would be easy to publish books at a very cheap cost. But then one man came with the idea, and then it changed entirely access to books that was just one in a century today as I'm speaking we have at least 32 Gothenburg moments changing the way we live our lives every day every day alright from 3D printing to artificial intelligence to blockchain to power technology to AR uh, VR and what we call extended reality or mixed reality of course, today we are talking about Web 3.0 and the, and the metaverse. <laughs> Robotics are there. Nanotechnology. I've seen the testing of the AI doctor. It's an AI doctor already. They are trying to um, mass produce it. It's going to take the place of, of um, our members who are doctors in the nearest future. It can diagnose, it can prescribe. So what else are you going to offer as a doctor? Because the cost will be very cheap. Alright? They are mass producing it now. There's the AI professor who probably has all the knowledge you know, uploaded on the blockchain. Cannot miss every, every chapter, every discipline in your field. Has all the knowledge, access. As of today, it's already, it's already been tested. I hope there won't be an AI preacher. Praise God. Because our pastors will not have jobs. <laughs> Amen. But interesting things are happening around the world today. And I encourage us to begin, to begin to pay attention to them because it will change the way we do church. And so again, for us as, as a people on the face of this earth, I believe that we are in the second half of the chessboard. I call it the second half of the chessboard. So it is believed that in the 
in the sixth century or thereabout, chess was invented. The game of chess was invented um, somewhere in India, all right, around the uh, uh, Gupta Empire by a young man who one day decided to visit the emperor and tell him about this new invention. And at the display of the chess game, the emperor was so impressed by what this young man had done. And the emperor said, I mean, I love this. Ask me anything, and I will give it to you. And the young man said, all I ask for, for is a grain of rice for each of those uh, boxes. All right? Just a grain. And said, that all you want? He said, yes, sir. And he told this finance director, sort it out. And so one grain, two, gra um, two grains, four grains, of course, at every box, he said, I mean, the, 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 the grains would double. By the time he was half of the board, the half of the board, the 32nd board, it was four billion grains of rice. And the news came to the emperor. He said, well, it's not a big deal. We can still go around it. When you move to the 33rd board, the figures begin to change. At 2 raised to power 64, by the time the young man got to that box, it was 8 quintillion. Not million, not billions. It was 8 quintillion. The size of stacking rice had a Mount Everest over and over. It is stacking rice <coughs> from here <coughs> to galaxies and back. And when the treasurer took the news to the emperor, he said, this is what this guy is asking for at its 64th piece. He said, are you serious? He said, it is yes. He said, kill him. Kill him. This is the second half of the board where results and, and, and organization begin to go beyond linear to exponential. And I explain this in a very simple way. If I tell you to take 30 steps, at most, you probably go by 30 meters. At most. But if I tell you to take 30 exponential steps, all right, you will have gone around the earth about seven times. The last five steps are what increases exponentially the result. The initial steps are deceptive. But as you begin to get to the last five steps, it becomes very disruptive. And that is what we are seeing today as organizations begin to layer themselves on exponential technologies, how they begin to increase um, exponentially and have amazing results. Now, I explain this information, this, this graph by CB Insights, to show you how we've evolved over a period of time. It was little knowledge in 2009, few organizations were able to grow exponentially. All right, when we talk about unicorns, they are companies that are valued over a billion dollars. The vice president of Nigeria just spoke about four days ago that um, uh, we have about six unicorns out of Nigeria in the last, in the last uh, couple of years, six, seven years. They are actually more than that. They are about nine. All right. So what it means is that startups, companies, five years, six years, have been valued over a billion dollars in just a short time. So when you look at the graph, towards the end, you will see that it's highly populated. That, that is just 2017. By 2021, it's extremely crowded, meaning that people are understanding how it works better. All right? More people are succeeding. More people are making it. More people are understanding the templates to deliver these results as much as possible. Now, I have spent a couple of my last two, three years in um, trying to research this space as much as possible and what we've done is to identify about 11 attributes that has helped organization to scale and to build uh, what they've done all these organizations are growing very fast all right we, we we call them ideas plus scale plus mtp attributes 11 of them 
if you deploy about three or four, <laughs> you can scale. And the most important is the MTP, the massive transformational purpose. It is what powers the rest of the attributes, the MTP. And as a ministry, we have it. So anytime we begin to say that, you know, we are, I mean, we call it the three, three Ds of tribe, all right? Develop, uh, uh, discover, develop, and deploy. Um, how we are released forth into our world to make a formidable impact for the kingdom. It is a massive transformation purpose. And the more we understand that, the more we stand a chance of scaling. There is none of those companies who don't have an MTP. Google's MTP is organizing the world's information. TEDx, ideas worth sharing. Some are to end the world's poverty. Some are to end the world's hunger. They may not achieve it in their lifetime, but it stretches their mind to believe for the impossibility. An MTP is not a vision statement. An MTP is not a mission statement. A vision statement of mission statement is about your organization. An MTP is about a problem you want to solve or something you want to change in your world. It's bigger than that. So when we craft MTPs and vision statements, we are, we are looking inward. None of these organizations were built by thinking about the vision statement. It's about the problem out there, a cause out there, a difference they want to make in their world. And I shared one of Big Daddy's um, um, uh, uh, admonishment to us in the Mecca we talk, in uh, Genesis chapter 28, I think verse, verse, verse 14, where God began to converse with Jacob. God gave him an MTP. He said, while he was dreaming, he said, listen, the, the, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. I'm going to increase you. I'm going to expand you and do great things. Jacob woke up eventually. What did he tell God? He said, God, just give me food to eat and clothes to wear. And then you will be my God. And for the next 20 years, God did not have conversation with him. Because his mind could not comprehend what God had planned for him. So God said, listen, until you are ready. <laughs> no communication. And so for us as a ministry and as a people, we must understand that though the purpose may be beyond us, our job is to begin to reimagine, to begin to renew our mind, to begin to envision who we are and the possibilities of those things happening. That is our job. To believe what God has said through our big daddy. That's our job. And the more we believe it, the more we begin to it. Our job is not to create it. The, our job is just to believe what God has said concerning us. And then if I explain to the right the scale attributes, um, these are the attributes that are that used to operate outside of the organization. Scale is external. Um, 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 ideas are internal. So with scale, you grow. All right? But with the ideas attributes, you use it to manage growth. All right? Because if you go so fast and you don't understand, you don't have you don't have a pedal, you will crash as much as possible. So on the scale, we have staff on demand. All right, the ideology of staff on demand is that the best people don't work for you. So through staff on demand, organizations have been able to uh, access the best talents in the world. Even if you hire the best talent, there is a point that they play to in their experience, and most people are not able to reinvent themselves. So you must have a system that gives you access to the best talent as much as possible. The second is community and crowd, all right, which I did explain. The community are those who are already in our context, who are already engage with us as a ministry. Uh, they are members that are, they are part of all our expressions. The women prayer school, um, 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 men can we talk, um, whatever, the, the football, the moe. Everyone that is already engaged with us, they are part of our communities. There are also people that are called the crowd. There are those who believe in the cause of the presiding bishop, but they are not members of this church. So how do you engage them effectively? That is the 
major strength of TEDx, how they were able to scale and grow exponentially. Because they built communities and crowds. All of them. Almost all of them. Praise God. And so how can we begin to leverage on the strength of our numbers? How can we begin to engage the community? How can we begin to engage the crowd? How can the crowd begin to derive value from the community and the community from the crowd? And how can the church derive value? The church creates the platform. The community gives value to themselves and the community also can give value to the church. You build this deliberately as much as possible. We have algorithms also, which is, which is the third of the scale. Algorithm um, is the... Um, um, so, for instance, I was listening to the, the pastor of the Life Church about three years ago. And he said, he said, anytime you click, you search for pornography <laughs> in his, if, if you are in the States or you are in the U.S., you are likely going to be redirected to his church website. All right? I mean, there are, there are keywords. They did the research here some years ago in, uh, in Nigeria. Places like, like um, um, Taraba, Enugu, they were ranked top places where the word pornography was, was searched most. You can find that out in Google. It's there. So... You can imagine, you know, people punching, um, what are the key words for young people? You know, any slang, whatever. And then they redirect it. The first thing that comes on, on their page is your church. So, people are doing that effectively as much as possible. So that we don't just have a website and have a presence on Instagram. We must, there are ways people are making sure that they get attention in the digital space. Leverage assets. What, what am I going to own? What can, I, what can I rent? What can I lease? All right? Not every asset you must own. So many of them don't buy assets because it's a big chunk of figure on, the, on, the, on, the, on their balance sheet. So what can we rent? What can we own? Praise God. Engagement. All right? And then we have that as a ministry. We have all... All our expression, the, the ELP, the football competition, the, the lectures, these are ways we engage. But then there is a conversion point of all these engagements. You can engage without converting. All right? So um, they engage, and on the ideas, I need to move very fast for the sake of time. For the ideas, you have the interfaces, all right? You have the dashboard. I mean, online, real time, having access to everything, no matter how big you are. All right, no matter how Google is, no matter how Tesla is, there is a dashboard that shows all the activities and gives um, intelligent reports um, two, three minutes, irrespective of the huge activities that they embark on. Experimentation. Most of them experiment. All right, they experiment. Google does about 1,925 experiments every day. Not everything succeeds. But they found a way to experiment very cheap so that they can have enough ideas to push out there. Autonomy, it's, it's more like having a crack squad. So we call them DAOs today, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. All right, and Apple does that very well. Where, so for instance, you want to understudy a children's church in another church. What we do oftentimes is that who is available to go? Okay, you come, you come, you come. And you go to a church... And not everybody has a mind that is trained to see on the surface what a church, the value of a church. Not, not everybody has that kind of mind. That is what we call the third eye and the third ear. Ability to hear what is not said, ability to see what is not shown. So, <laughs> this is what um, autonomy does. You create a team that can go into a particular sector, industry, or whatever you want to solve, Deliberately, once they solve it, everybody goes elsewhere. They can be from different branches as much as possible. Then you have the social as much as possible. Hallelujah. Let me do this in the next five minutes. I just have seven more minutes. So as we begin to think about transitioning, there are delicate areas also that we must begin to pay attention to. 
Genesis 33 verse 13 tells us about the meeting of Jacob and Esau. We know the story very well. When they finally met and Esau said, I will go ahead of you. Um, Jacob, bring your people. Bring your, your cattle, everything. Verse 13 says, but Jacob answered, Master, you know traveling is hard on children. And I have to look after the sheep and the goats that are nursing their young. If my animals travel too much in one day, they will die. They will all die. Alright, so in transition, we must be careful of the things that are fragile. We don't, our job is not to lose anyone. But there are pain points in every transitioning. There are pain points. It may look favorable to some. It may be interpreted as not favorable to others. So I have what I call the transition matrix. I mean, as possible because anytime there's a transitioning, four things happen. Number one, the strong can become stronger. Number two, the strong can become weak. Number three, the weak can become strong. And number four, the weak can remain weak. The most dangerous of these is the strong becoming weak. When you have the strong becoming weak in any transitioning, they can make the weak remain weak. They can also make other strong people to become weak. So when you are transitioning, you must be careful. I call this the Lucifer effect. Don't mind me, I try to think a lot at times. Every leader has influence. And um, when a leader transits, he transits with people. It is not the people that live physically that is the problem. It is those who are with you but have left emotionally that is the problem. So your job is to make sure that you are able to help them or else it becomes unfavorable at the end of the day. And um, I, I, I like in the few minutes to just, um, I mean, I think I've been privileged to be around for a while. Um, in my life as a termite, I think I've been, I mean, exactly 10 branches, about six of them as a pastor, as much as possible. And I've seen some transitioning in my little years as, as, as a termite. And, um, and even as a pastor. And they all come with their own emotions. They come with their own emotions. I've moved to places. I've, I've, I, mean, I mean, I'm not saying that it is easy. There are places that, I mean, it's been terrible. I've been at gunpoint for holding a crusade. I've, I've, um, I've, I've lost a child in the morning and I have to preach in the evening. They are difficult. So I understand a little bit the mix of, of transitioning. And I want to share just three, four minutes um, with us. And for the sake of time, the, 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 the one that resonated the most has been my last one. And a very interesting one. And uh, it's interesting because this is the one that has changed my life the most. And I understand what Bishop Oke was saying. You never understand what God has in mind when he sends you to a particular place. I totally understand. And the truth is that when I was sent to where I am today, only few people said congratulations. You know, if it's an Aso Rock branch, people will be giving you congratulations. But hardly no one. And I remember every Monday gave me the best of advice I will never forget. Sat me down and began to advise me about me, I mean, unexpected. And it, it wasn't easy. The first Sunday, Reverend Clem handed me over. Everybody was clapping. They, gave, they, they, they wore stuff on me. They, they clapped, they danced. Very beautiful first Sunday. Second Sunday, second Sunday, second one, second one. Not the third. I finished service. And it was, I mean, when you are preaching, you are seeing the head of the person in the toilet, toilet one, toilet two, toilet three. Finish service, just turn your chair, counseling starts. Finish around 11 or thereabouts. My wife was already going to the car. I said I would meet her. Trying to step out of the church. I saw my wife and my kids run back into the church. Before I could ask what happened, we started hearing gunshots. I mean, this is Sunday, Sabbath, Sabbath. Not Monday, not you. Sunday. For the next an hour and a half, it was, it was heavy. And I had some leaders. I said, is this how you people? I said, Pastor, that's how. I said, why did you tell me that this is 
And I said, God, you know, I'm here. It's either I make it here or these people. So I made up my mind. The next Sunday, we prayed throughout. I prayed my heart. I prayed my heart. And just this October fast, some of my leaders were reminding me that, Father, we need to thank God that since that prayer, we've never seen these guys. They were doing it almost every, every day then. Since that prayer, we've never seen these guys because I forgot totally. I forgot. You see dead bodies everywhere almost every day. But I'm grateful that the transitioning did not lead to my exit. It was tough. It was, it was with a lot of emotions. But three things I will share with you. Number one, our responsibility during transitions. Number one, you need to research as a leader. The glory of kings, of God is to conceal a matter. The glory of kings is to search it out. A dimension of the glory will not be seen until you begin to search out the mind of God over your life, over your terrain, over your ministry. We must research. We must research as much as possible. We must research. Pastors, we must research. Until Daniel opened the books, he, they were not free from captivity. So we must research. We must find out what does the future hold? What is God saying concerning me? Why is God bringing me here? We must research as pastors. Secondly, we must learn from others. And that you can spend time to, to talk about that. The young must learn from the whole. The whole must learn from the young about the changing times. And lastly, and I want to encourage us, is that we must be the best man on the bench. And what does that mean? You know, there are times, not, not everybody can be a deacon. Everybody will not be a zonal pastor. Everybody will not be a director. And if you are not careful, these things can get to you as much as possible. So what is the secret? It's the ability to be the best man on the bench while the game is on. It's very important to cheer those who are there, to support them, to encourage them. Because what I have learned in my short years that if you are the best man on the bench in the game of life there will always be room for substitution and if you are not the best man it won't be an exciting time so I want to encourage you people of God it's a great day for us as a ministry God is doing something new as we are transiting Make sure that we don't lose anyone because together we will build the future of this ministry. May God bless you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to another message. God's blessing be with you now and forever. For counseling, email trem at tremusa.org Remain blessed.